And good evening, our fellow lovers of love. And thank you for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness to the uh, river of... Nah, I completely butchered it. What the heck was that? What I, did you just do? I don't know what I just did. I completely went out of my mind. So let's try that again. All right. Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, on this excursion through the stream of con consciousness to the river of tranquility and on towards the ocean of love and you know what i'm recording that this week when we get the microphone back i'm sitting down and i'm recording that so it plays in the intro so i don't have to screw it up every week i think that's what i'm planning on doing this time i'm gonna do it now we are on our backup microphone so we apologize for any extra noise so we'll get that through we get the new one is delivered supposed to be this week so it's a it's an interesting time of year you know as the holiday seasons has passed and we all look forward to the new year but you know there's been a a string of celebrity deaths shall we say you know it seems like you know a few weeks ago it was Betty White Meatloaf passed away the other day and, but it brings into a to light something that we all face kind of constantly, but we don't talk about it very much. We all face these kind of traumas, whether it's, you know, a loved one passes away, you know, sometimes someone we don't yet love, you know, stillbirths and unborn, those, you know, these, you know, the trauma of, of that, that's a huge trauma. And how do you get through these things? You know, when those, the darkest days, you know, when you can't see a light. You know, how do you get through those days? And there's, problem is there's no simple answer, but it's one of these things, none of us get out of this life without going through it, in some form. I, mean, I suppose you could argue some of us get, you know, more than others, more than our fair share, but all of us have to face it. None of us get out of here without experiencing grief yes grief and trauma no one gets out of life trauma without trauma some people have supportive families and friends and and the networking that they need to get through it but you know to get through it and some people don't some people get for whatever reason get more than their fair share Right? It just kind of comes at them in waves, sometimes by their own choices, sometimes by not, sometimes by combinations. You know, these things happen. That's how life works. But no one ever talks, but we don't actually discuss it on the human level. We discuss all kinds of other things, but we don't discuss how do you deal with those traumas? What do you do? When you're at the darkest days, we say reach out to your friends. Like just before showtime, we were listening to uh, Lean On Me by uh, Bill Withers. The kind of, I don't know if it's the original version of that song, but it's one of the original versions of it. So many people have made covers, great covers of that song. But the point is, is that when you're at your lowest, you reach out to your friends, your families, those who love you, because that does two things. Not only does it help you, but it also lets them know that you'll be there too. You know, these are two-way streets. You need those 
those bonds of friendship, love, relationships, they work together. And when you're at those depths of despair, when you're at the bottom of your pit, and you're just flailing around trying to find anything to grasp onto, you know, there are things to actually grasp onto that you can't see, that you can't feel. And in those moments, those days, sometimes weeks, where it feels like you're in that pit, just, you know, and whether you want to find a path forward or find a way up, whichever metaphor you want to look for, you're looking for something. You're looking for something solid to hold on to, something to guide you until you can see some path forward. And there's no single answer. You know, I'd love to be able to sit here and go, hey, do these five, six things and you'll be great. Things will work out. Life will be, be peachy. That's not how life works. You know, you have to kind of struggle and find your way through it. You know, I like to say, I've been to hell and back enough times that I'm comfortable with the trip. Doesn't mean I want to go. <laughs> you know? Doesn't mean I want to go there. Just means I know how to, uh, I know what it's like when you've getting on the way down to the depths of despair. I know what happens when you get to the bottom. And I've been through it enough times that I know I can persevere and get to the point where I can see a light at the end of a tunnel. Where I can feel like I'm starting to make progress, even if you can't see it. And there's no prescription for that. Now, before we go on, sometimes, temporarily, a prescription can help, right? If, yeah. You know, if you need a temporary, you know, uh, antidepressant to get you through the next six months, by all means, why wouldn't you? You know, it's, <laughs> you know, not taking a, not taking a medication that will help you isn't, isn't a, some sign of strength. It's just not. Now, medication, everything has side effects and costs, and so you want to be careful. But it doesn't mean you don't do it. It means you just be careful before you do. That's all. And you wade in. You don't dive in. But it doesn't mean you don't explore it. You know, if a doctor says this might help. You know, and I, and I can understand being skeptical. You know, I can understand that it's not a magic pill. <laughs> you have to do the rest of it. <laughs> you still have to go through the work. You still have to do the work. You still have to do that internal head work that is so difficult that we don't want to do. But that pill can make that head work a hell of a lot easier. Yes, it can. And so that is a potential. I'm not suggesting anybody do it. Uh, we're not doctors. We don't do we that. We're not medical professionals. <laughs> but what I am saying is don't be afraid to explore all possibilities. You know, maybe holistic healing is more your, your thing, and that's where you get your value. Maybe it's you spend more time at church. I don't know. You know, Maybe you just shut off and play your favorite game for a few days while you let the emotions go through. Your particular path is your particular path. What's important is that you don't sit at the bottom of that pit. 
is that if you have to crawl along the floor till you find something to hold on to to get you to help you stand up, you do it. If you have to scream and yell for your friends and your family to come help you, you, you do that because they will. Or you, you'll find out which ones will. And that's important to know. Don't worry about the ones who don't. Worry about the ones who do. Because those are the people you can rely on. And the ones you can't, they're, they're still friends. They're just not the friends you need when the stuff hits the fans. They have other purposes. It's perfectly fine. You don't want people at that time who aren't reliable at that time. So it's fine. But you will have those that will, that will support you. And those are the ones you lean on. Because it will go both ways. Because at some point, they will need you to lean on. And they will turn to you. And it's that... Friendship is the wrong word. Love isn't a big enough word. <laughs> it's just not long enough. You know, love is short and succinct, and it covers a wide way of ground, a wide ground of things, and so it works. But sometimes it doesn't feel enough for when friends go above and beyond the call. Yes. You know, because it's, it's, it is different when your spouse, your children, your mother, you know, go above and beyond the call. Not that it's expected, but it's kind of how the world works. It's kind of how things are generically done. But friends don't have to. You know, friends don't have that pull of blood. They don't have the pull of family. They don't have, you know, the childhood years, the foundation that other people have. And that's why losses of family are so difficult, whether it's brothers, sisters, mothers. And, you know, as I get older and we experience more friendships, you have more people in life, you find out how many people experience loss in, I don't know if I want to say, a loss is tragic, but in one of the most heart-wrenching ways, you know, is when people lose their children before birth. And in the last few years, I've known three or four couples who experience that. And both parents have their own sets of unique traumas. And it's, and men don't talk about these traumas anyway. You know, at least women are somewhat better about talking about these things. <laughs> you know, I don't, but I'm not even sure women know how to talk about that. Not really. I mean, and then, and then there's the hardest part. How do you start? How do we start that cultural and community conversation? I don't understand how we do that. You know, there's uh, cultural conversations that need to be had. It's a different. There's something different about a cultural conversation than a conversation like, I don't know, like we have right here. We tend to have just kind of personal conversations. We just have it openly. But how do we transition those things? How do we make it, I don't want to say routine because we don't want to live in our pain. 
normalize. Well, I didn't want to say normalize. I. How do we make it acceptable? How do we make it normal for you to talk to your friends and families and and all these things about the pain you're feeling, the emotional pain you're feeling. We have no problems telling people our physical pains. We have no problems telling people, yeah, I've, you know, I had this procedure. I've my back's out, and my, you know, I've got kidney problems or whatever. Pick your thing. I broke my leg. My my knees jacked up. I need hip surgery. We'll go through. We'll talk to end upon end about that kind of stuff. But we don't talk about. I am emotionally hurting, and it's making life difficult for me to function. But why is that hard to say? And, and I'm not pointing fingers. You know, the, the man in the mirror and all that has the same problem. Why is it hard for us to say? I like to think of myself now as a fairly open person. I like to live my life out in the open. I like to talk about all kinds of various things. You know, I see, talk to a therapist once a month. But yet, I don't like, there's, I get this big factor when you want to talk about this when you want to talk about grief and trauma and loss even in a generic fashion even if you're not talking specifics even if you just say you know I've experienced things and I'm emotionally kind of broken yeah because what do we do with that I mean if I say that to somebody what are they supposed to do with it they're not therapists You know, what do you do? And maybe that's the thing we actually should be talking about. Here's what to do. When someone comes to you and they say, I'm emotionally exhausted. You know, do you relate to them? You know, try to have the human moment so you can relate and say, yeah, I can understand. You know, I felt I, I've been there before. You know, some because sometimes if you say I've been there before, it can feel like you're diminishing their, their experience when you're trying to relate depending upon the person you're talking to and the relationship you have. You know, how, so how do you empathize with without diminishing? It's, it, well, I say, oh, that sounds so hard. Or, oh, that's so hard. Because you can, you relate, but you're also acknowledging their feelings. Yes, but the, the, the problem I see with that kind of approach is it doesn't lead to a discussion. No, it doesn't. And don't get me wrong, it's not that it's, it's wrong, but if you want to have an open discussion, you know, there has to be something, you're kind of putting all of the discussion on the other person. Like I said, I don't have good answers. I, I wish I did. But the thing is, we're not going to find good answers until we are willing to talk about them. And maybe there's not good answers. Maybe there's just, hey, here's a string of t 10 answers, you know, and here's some situations where these have worked, and you're just going to have to make your judgment on which ones to use when, based upon the relationship you do or don't have with the person you're dealing with. And that's not a great answer, except, you know, given the way the world is, it's likely the most realistic answer. You know, you try to find some way to empathize and sympathize without diminishing. And how do you do that with 
the uniqueness of individuals and all the experiences that they've gone through. Because some experiences are different than others. Like the, the loss of a child before birth is different than a loss of a 95-year-old parent. You know, one's more tragic than the other. One's more traumatic than the other. It just is. Mm-hmm. You know, and and lots of people can relate to the loss of a parent, so it doesn't feel as diminishing. How can someone who hasn't lost re really relate? And so you have to make a judgment on when to just shut up, you know, but that also doesn't foster a further conversation if that's what they need. And I wish I had a good answer. We're going to have to have a Beth expert on at some point, a grief expert. Come on. That's a great idea. I'll have to look for star. have to do some research into that because, and it's not that they can have necessarily great answers. You know, you may just talk to, a, often enough, the people to talk to may be someone who works at a funeral home. They have to deal with death and trauma all the time. You know, I can't imagine that having to deal with people who are experiencing loss as my job and have to get them through. I don't know if I could do it. I can deal with death all the time. It, it, it's just the living I would have trouble dealing with. It's because they're the ones currently experiencing the emotional pain. Like I always say, funerals and funeral services are for the living. They're not for the dead. Those are for people left behind. They're for, so you can help help those who are uh, suffering. You know, a friend of mine lost his father on New Year's and the funerals this week. And it's been... Luckily, I you know my brain fog has kind of cleared up, so it's been easier for me to deal with. You know, remember to call him and, and ask him, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, because we work together on projects. You know, but we've been working together for what three years now, three and a half years now, and you know, it's more than a job you know it's we talked about leadership uh, a couple weeks ago and it's uh, you know leadership actually means caring about the people you are, are around you and that's a long-winded way of saying there's no great way to get through trauma and death and grief because it doesn't have to actually be death. There's lots of things that, that can can cause trauma and grief. Divorce, uh, loss of a job. One of the things we actually covered, the first question, we'll actually start on the things today was, I actually put a question at top before we go down to the, to the bottom. There was a quick question. Is a CEO fired 900 employees over Zoom just before the holidays? And so what do you think? Now, sometimes you have to make these decisions, right? 
telling them right before the holidays, that's one of those things you either tell them beforehand or you wait until after Christmas. And you know, There's no great time to tell 900 people there's being laid off. But doing it over a Zoom with the 900 calls and saying, if you've made this, cause what happened was, he says, if you're on this phone call, you've been laid off. It was like a five-minute Zoom phone call. It was the most crass way. I mean, seriously, sending a, a email would have been better. <laughs> How terribly insensitive. I mean, there's no good way to do it, but there are bad ways to do it. <laughs> you know, there's no great way to lay 900 people off. No one likes doing it. No one wants to do it, you know, because you're causing trauma to 900 people and their families. And so anybody who's half human doesn't want to, but, you know, if there's no money, there's no money, right? It's either you you get laid off or you don't get paid for your work, which isn't good for anybody. So you lay you off so you can go get another job, you can get unemployment, you can get all these other things. So it happens. But there are wrong ways to go about it. You know, if you can't, you know, for the love of God, an email would have been better. You know, preferably, you know, if you can't meet everybody in person because it's not practical during these kind of times, you know, during COVID or whatever, and you, you want to have, don't want to have a, a meeting, you shouldn't even do that over a group meeting. You take the time to run through everybody individually. Look someone in the eye and you, I mean... You should. You just should. And you can't expect one person to do it to 900 people, but you can expect, you know, you have people to do that for you. Yeah, that's called your job. That's called, you know, preserving some human dignity. That's what you're going to cause trauma, so try to do it the least amount of trauma as possible. There's no way to get about, to go about it. You know, that's what being a, a good leader is about. So being a good human being is about. And so now, you've not only caused the trauma that you couldn't help, you've created trauma that you could have helped. And that's the real problem. And you did nothing to help them through it. Nothing. That's the real problem. It's kind of... There's an inhumanity that's growing, and I think, you know, it's people like us, shows like this, and lots of others. And lots of people are out there pushing, spreading love. It's not just us. So, there is hope in the world. Yes, there is. So, but you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, and sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a way forward, and the thing is, is to just try to keep moving. You just try to keep moving. You know, I'm good at falling down. I, I'm good at falling down and finding those dark holes. But you know what I'm better at? Standing up. Crawling forward. Figuring out a way to do it. But here's the thing. I don't do it alone. I have people that help me. 
and so that's a blessing and so you know in a sense sometimes I do I admit I feel guilty sometimes because I have what other people don't I have the support system and the support network other people don't it's not that it's my fault but it makes me sad that other people don't have it All right, so, but there is a couple of interesting articles that we are linked at latenightlove.us. You can go find. Um, the first one was How Trauma, and, How Trauma, Loss, and Grief Change You, and which makes sense. You know, every action has an equal opposite reaction. So it's what you do with that. Does it change you to become more introspective, more sympathetic, empathetic to others? Does it change you to become a better human being? Or do you allow it to eat at you? Because it's very easy. It's very easy to allow it to eat at you. And, you know, you, it's, it's almost hard to blame anybody for it. You can't even really blame anybody for it. You know, because sometimes it's just too much. Sometimes life can be too much. You know, shell shock is a thing. You just can't take it anymore. You know, we can help by reaching out, by helping those who need it. But, you know, the thing to do is to try and avoid the situation. So next we've got this, uh, what do we got? The second one was Grease Swallow Beholds. No one spit me back out. That was a lady, she had lost her son. Yeah, and again, it's it's the journey through it. And the point of these is that, you know, it it doesn't always feel like there's a way through it. Well, and she she started with self <coughs> with self talk, because she had reached a point of self loathing, so she had to change her internal dialogue. Yeah, and that's easier if with a counselor or a therapist you know I would not suggest you do that by yourself <laughs> you tried to go that journey by yourself not that you can't it can be done people do it all the time but I wouldn't suggest it you get to that that depth you try to find a counselor or, some, or someone who can help you it is it is not a sign of weakness I, I think there's far too many of us who think going to a counselor or someone to talk to, a priest, rabbi, whatever it is, someone to help you work through your emotions, is a sign of weakness. But the willingness to deal with your emotions is not a sign of weakness. Do you know how many people, you know, zombie through life because they're not strong enough to face their emotions? They lash out at the world because they're not strong enough to face their emotions? They shut down from the world and be just, you know, exist because they're afraid to deal with their emotions. They break because they're afraid to deal with their emotions. You have to deal with your emotions. You can't get through grief. You can't get through trauma without the perseverance to deal, deal with them. Nobody wants to deal with those negative emotions. No one wants to feel sick. No one wants to cry so much that you're blubbering and have snot running down your face and you're a mess. No one wants that. But you have to do it. 
there's no way around it. Because you can come out the other side. You can come out to the side when you have that kind of trauma, when you have to deal with that. You don't break out into the blubbering mess. That you're strong enough to just cry. Crying isn't a weakness. I'm going to use a sports thing. Punting isn't... There's nothing wrong with punting. You know? Crying is like punting. It's letting you live with your emotions. It's letting you experience them. Because you can't deal with them until you've experienced them. You can't. I wish I had a silver bullet, a silver answer to you. But there isn't one. You, you have to let them be. You have to become friends with them. You have to become, make them part of you in a way that doesn't hurt you. You know, moving past your trauma, forgiving your trauma, it's not about them, it's about you. You know, people talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about forgiving the other person. It's about allowing yourself to move on. Because hate in your heart ultimately hurts you. It's the... It's the seed, you know? What is it? Yoda said, fear leads to hate something like that I forget alright so we're gonna hit these 10 self-care promises she leaves at the wrong time today ha Let's see if I can read them oh no I can't alright so we're gonna skip to a question alright so I'm 16 should I quit my job if they're if they've made me work 16 hours my first weekend and I've only worked two days this is my first job um, that is called a shift <laughs> <laughs> eight hours is a regular shift now you know hey, you're 16 you don't know but yeah that's called regular shift my friend that's routine um, you know and, and 16 hours over the weekend that's a nice shift it's what we used to do you know at 15 16 hours washing dishes in a restaurant you know and Sometimes you work a couple hours, three, four hours at night, and sometimes, you know, on the weekends you work eight hours. It's what you did. It's a, it's just a shift. And I don't want to laugh because you're 16 and they don't know. But it's it's the question is how do you not know at 16? And that's just the failure of, of our education system. And I'm going to shut up before I get political on that one. It's, <laughs> So he answered the question, he's 16, he got his first job, and he had to, he made him work 16 hours in two days, you know, which is called two shifts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and when you're 16, they work you on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do, because that's when you can work a full shift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and we're laughing, and we shouldn't laugh, because he does, he just doesn't know, and there's nothing wrong with asking a question if you don't know, right? And so I, we shouldn't be laughing, at, but we are because, you know, we're old. It's kind of funny. It's like, how don't you know? You know, we knew at 16, and we were working at 15 and 14, so we understood all these things. But the kids, they don't know these days because they don't experience it. He's one of the few kids at 16 who are working. 
There's so few kids at 16 working these days that he doesn't know that eight hours is, is a full shift, and for whatever reason, they haven't taught him at school. Or at home. That's the sad part of that question. It's not him that's the sad part of the question. It's everything around it. The job is treating him perfectly normal, but he doesn't know. Yeah. And, it, and we can blame him, but it's not his fault if no one taught him. And so we laugh, but we really shouldn't. We laugh because, yeah, superficially it's funny, but you scratch underneath it and it's not. And it's not his fault or her fault or it's just not. It's the rest of our fault. And like I said, I'm going to shut up before I get political. So you want to hop on those 10 self-care promises before we... Yeah. Okay, number one, for times in when my body... Okay, these are promises uh -huh. to, yourself, to, the, to yourself. Promise for the times my body and mind will actually allow myself to rest. So that's to when you're feeling like you need a rest for when you, when you can, you don't beat yourself up thinking about all the things you should be doing. Uh -huh. Okay. Yep. Number two, for the times my body is so active I cannot rest, make the most out of the rare moments of clarity. Okay. Number three, for times when I'm overwhelmed and need to cry. Okay, I think we covered that today. Yeah, okay. For times when my pain levels are high. Okay, what's this one? Uh... Reminding yourself that this moment will pass. That's how the author gets through it. Number five, for times when I fuck up, instead of be beating myself up, I will practice self-compassion and forgiveness. Well, I'd, <coughs> there's a difference between beating yourself up and holding yourself to... Accountable is the wrong word. But learning from the experience, making sure you learn from the experience, making sure you learn the proper lessons that you should be learning. And so there's a danger. And so just I just want to be careful. There's a fine line that you want to be careful not to not to cross. Okay. Number five for the times when I fuck up. Oh, I, we already did that one. Excuse me, my bad. Number six for when times alone. For times when I'm alone, instead of fearing my own company. Because I'm forced to listen to voices behind my inside my head, I will embrace this time of reflection and use it as an opportunity for growth. Well, I always say that those voices in your head, you know, the best way to get those voices in your head uh, to quiet down is to become friends with them. Because what they want, when they're very loud, what they want is attention. Something wants attention. So you find out what wants attention. Something in your mind wants attention. So you give that thing attention, and those voices quiet down. So you have to figure out what it is. It's the, it's the, that's the trick. It's figuring out what it is that wants attention. So you have to listen to them enough to figure out what it is that they want, and then you have to figure out how do you give that to them without causing yourself harm, or give it to them enough. 
because that's essentially what I did with my anxiety disorder. It's like, look, okay, you know what? I appreciate the fact that you are hypersensitive to potential dangers and all these kind of things. I appreciate it. It has some usefulness. But you get out of control sometimes. So what we're going to do here is essentially, I, you know, negotiated with my, with my own self. But you start that by acknowledging, okay, you actually do have some benefits. There are some benefits from you. And you can, you know, you can find some, find some way to negotiate with yourself, to negotiate with those inner demons, because it's not some outer thing. It is you. You can negotiate with yourself, and it's a long, like many negotiations that are difficult. They can be long and drawn out, but that's how the process starts. That's where I would you know, suggest on that. Okay. Thank you. For times when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. Instead of criticizing every lump, bump, wrinkle, and gray hair, I will practice being kind for myself and acknowledge I'm beautiful. Well, see, as I'm getting older, I just accept that I'm getting older. And this is just, my body is my body. It has, but it's not a reflection of my value. I think when we're young, we put so much value on our personal appearance. And so we kind of forget that, you know, as you get older, your value is actually in your skills, experience, knowledge, humanity, all that other stuff. The real beauty is the tapestry that's underneath. It doesn't mean you can't take care of yourself. You want to take care of yourself and all that. But, you know, the days where your body is is going to look great or long freaking gone, right? You know, that ship has sailed. <laughs> that, that ship has sailed. So, you know, embrace it. That's okay. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be 20 again anyway. You know how stupid I was at 20? Yeah, it looked great, but I was stupid. <laughs> I'd rather be smart and ugly than than, than cute and stupid. <laughs> anyway, not sure that was helpful, but okay. What else you got? Number eight, for times when I'm full of anger and everything irritates me, these emotions do not make me a bad person, and I will try to forgive myself. My suggestion is learn to shut up so you have less to forgive. That's what I do. When I'm grouchy, I just shut up. That way you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing to forgive. Nine, for the times when it feels like my body is betraying me, I focus on what I can do rather than what I can't. Ooh, man, that's a tough one. But I do. But I actually do that. I don't think about it that way. But I'm kind of proud that despite my ability to not see, I'm still managing to edit, edit videos and do those kind of things somehow. So, in a sense, you take the pride in which you can still manage to pull off. Yeah, okay, I'm kind of guessing at where buttons are based upon experience and whatnot. And it's working. I'm still managing it. So that's actually a good thing. Say, hey, despite all these challenges, I still managed to do X, Y, and Z. 
that's a, a good mindset to have. So, okay, last one. Last one. For the days I feel like I'm a failure and I'm consumed by self-loathing, I will do whatever it takes to survive the day. I will fight to see the many positive characteristics I possess and give myself the love, understanding, and, and compassion I so freely give to others. That's a good point. Yes, the only thing I want to start suggesting is that we stop using the term fight. Because what are you fighting? You're fighting yourself. And what does fighting do? It hurts people and breaks things. And you can maybe make an argument that you need to break something. Maybe you need to break a cycle and okay. And so I can get it. But, you know, I, I think the terminology, I think I've been beginning to prefer the terminology to work towards. Rather, we're fighting for this. We're working towards this. I like it. You know, because fighting you know, it's more satisfying to the ego, more satisfying to your emotions. But working towards something is more... That's the word I'm looking for. Productive. Less damaging. So, I don't know how much actually going to matter, <laughs> you know, in terms of working through these kind of things. But in your general rule of life, I think it's something we could probably work. Something we could probably change. Strive for. Strive for. Because, again... You, Fighting calls up an emotion. It calls up a uh, the word fight, the notion of fight. It, it, it brings up that fight or flight instinct. It calls on it. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. And, and it actually, that's the whole point of it. The whole point of using that language is to call on that fight or flight instinct. That's the whole point of it. It's to motivate you. It's to, that, to create that oomph of motivation. But is it healthy? It may motivate you for a short period of time, but is it healthy long term? And I'm not. And again, I'm not being critical because I understand what they're trying to say. And it's just it's a long term suggestion of mindset that I think we should individually and culturally think about you know, evolving. Okay, so let's get through these questions or as many of them as we can in the last <coughs> 17 minutes. Is it considered rude when you order the most inexpensive food when someone else is paying for the meal? I, that's what I was always taught to do. Well, I suppose depending upon circumstances, if you're hanging around around friends and whatnot, and they're buying you things, the thing to do would be to buy generically what you would normally buy. I so said generically because you know you you don't want to order extra stuff. You you want to keep it realistic. But what you don't want to do is deliberately order expensive stuff that you wouldn't normally buy. All right, if you normally would buy a normally buy a steak, you might <coughs> ask, "Hey, you know, I normally get this. Is it all right? You know, or would you prefer, especially if it's a friend, if it's a close friend, you know, but." I don't think you necessarily have to buy the cheapest thing, but you know. But I tend to buy cheap things anyway, so you know. I just the only way I think the only thing you rude you can do is to, be, to try to be deliberately buy expensive stuff in that situation. If you buy something on the lower half of the menu, you're fine. 
menu price, I think, is probably probably fine. You don't have to deliberately go find the cheapest thing on a menu and order it. But don't order from the most expensive things on the menu. Just, just, just don't. That's rude. Now, unless you were somebody who's offered you, man, dude, please, order what you want, man. We got this. You know, maybe they just got a huge bonus or, or you know, or something. You know, you're with someone who's very wealthy and they want to take you out and want you to enjoy. Hey, man, enjoy all the bells and whistles tonight. It's on me, right? That can happen. And then enjoy it. But the thing is, you don't have to because they'll order all the expensive stuff for you. You just order what you want to eat. <laughs> they'll order the expensive wine and their champagne or whatever it is that they want and all that stuff. You just order what you want to eat. But as a rule of thumb, bottom half of the menu, you'll be fine. Yeah. And, and no, it's not rude to try and save the other person money, especially in the modern era. All right. My mother-in-law keeps going into our bedroom, so I put a lock on it. She asks why the door is locked. I have avoided this. How do I tell her to stop snooping? Uh, well, I think you've already told her to stop snooping. And I just would say if you, she asks you why is the door locked, you say because we like our privacy. Don't make it about her. Make it about you. One of these things is, uh, this is going to happen a lot more as families and children are moving in with grandparents and parents and multi-generational families. These kind of issues are going to come up. And it's hard to deal with the matriarch of the family. So you've already dealt with it. And so when you, she asks you, you just say, we felt we needed more privacy. Make it about you guys, not about her. And that way it's not about her. Keep the peace while still accomplishing your goal. Okay. My 15-year-old son destroyed his new PlayStation 5 because I didn't buy him a gaming PC. Should I give in or hold my ground and buy him a new PlayStation 5 instead? You shouldn't buy him a damn thing. <laughs> he destroyed it. It's his, it's his problem now. Yeah, you cannot reward this type of behavior. And my guess is the only reason he's done it, doing it now is because you rewarded this type of behavior in the past. It's a sad place to have to stand your ground, but you're going to have to stand your ground. Now, you may want to offer him an a olive branch and give him opportunities to earn money to, to buy it, but he's going to have to earn that one back. There's no way in hell. You should buy that for him. No way in hell. I don't care if you just make him move bricks from one side of the yard to another, you know, and pay him $15 an hour if he, <laughs> to do it. When he's done moving it from the left side of the yard to the right side of the yard, fine, move him back to the other side of the yard. <laughs> until he's at $15 an hour, until he makes up enough money to buy the stuff. He cannot be rewarded for that behavior. Dig hole, fill it up, you know. <laughs> 50 bucks an hour until you until you paid it off you know hopefully you can find more something more useful have him work down at donate his time at the at the uh, homeless shelter or the food bank or whatever and pay him for his time pay him $25 for his time $30 for his time for that double his time for, for charity work make him earn that thing back 
He's got to learn his lesson. And then you're going to have to spend some time in the mirror and figure out how you got to this spot. Because, you know, children don't destroy their, their PS5s as a, as a power move unless power moves have worked before. You're going to have to figure out how the hell you got there. But the way out is there's no way in hell. <laughs> now remember, you don't relish the punishment. The idea here isn't actually the punishment. It's so he learns his lesson. So he learns that there's value to these things. That you can't just go around destroying things because you, you, know, because you didn't get your way. You're not going to get bailed out because you deliberately destroyed something. The, the 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 thing here is, is the the idea isn't actually punishment it's education but you know you have to earn the money to pay for these things so does he now he made that choice not you okay I was buying crypto in bull time now it's crashed and I lost eighty percent of my savings on it how do I cover my loss and exit from here. Okay, well, it depends how you're calculating that. All right, if you if you had put it $100 into crypto and it got up to $1,000 and then you lost 80% of that, well, that's not the same thing as you put in $100 and now you're only at $20. Right? Because 80% of $1,000 is still $200, so you've still made 100 bucks. So if you've lost, so you actually haven't lost anything. You haven't. You still made a hundred dollars. It's just a crappy return, and so you ride it out. Now, if you've lost down to twenty dollars, if you actually lost your initial investment, eighty percent of your initial investment, well, you've got nothing to do but ride it out. What's the point? Now, if you've got significant cash in there. And you can pull it out, I suppose, but where are you going to put it? And first, before we go any farther, we are not financial experts and we know nothing about cryptocurrency. So these are general mindset questions, not financial advice, because for the love of God, don't take advice from financial advice from me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing could be dumber. Um, so <laughs> that's covered. <laughs> but the point is, 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 you know, crypto is... An up and down thing. It's a volatile market. And if you're trying to ride the waves and sell the peaks, you, you know, you have to not get greedy. You know, you have to pull out when you start getting wishy-washy because they're going to have these peaks and valleys. It's just the way the, the crypto market works. It's, you know, you think the stock market is volatile. It's got nothing on the crypto market. And it's and you know, but that volatility comes with risks and potentials. And you have to decide what you're clearly you don't have the the stomach for the risks. So you know. If you've made some money, if it's you still have your initial investment, maybe plus what a little bit, call yourself lucky, pull out and go buy regular investments. With inflation, I'm not sure where you're gonna go, but Get the hell out of crypto. You don't have the stomach for it. 
You just don't. Crypto is like betting. Right? It's like gambling. It, you have fun with it. And then if you want to play with your winnings, you play with your winnings. But don't play with your with your base savings. That would be my non-financial advice advice. <laughs> and from a mindset where it's don't play with your, you know, don't bet with your savings. And crypto is fundamentally betting. You're betting that governments aren't going to crack down. You're betting on all kinds of things. So it's a bet. And you have that mindset when you play with crypto. Set yourself a budget. <laughs> like you're going to Vegas. Because <laughs> it's just play, going to Vegas longer term. That's all your crypto is. Okay, next. My 22-year-old son wants to move out, but I won't let him. How do I convince him that he shouldn't leave? Lady, you're lucky that he hasn't left already. Yeah, the only reason, and the question is, the only reason he hasn't left is because you have a problem. This isn't your your son is perfectly natural, normal to be wanting to move out. The problem is, why aren't you ready to let him? I can get the emotions of I don't want him to go, and it's so sad, but he needs to go. If he's prepared and he can has everything, he needs to go. To become a fully-fledged man, you need to try. Human being, you need to try. And we may end up coming back and going out again. It happens. But you can't protect him. The, and I don't want to use codependency wrong, but it's, you know, you're getting the wrong type of relationship. You, you, it's like you need your son there more than he needs you. And your son does, you don't need your son just to live. You want him, you love him, you like being around him, clearly. But, he's 22, it's time to fly. The bird must leave the nest. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be traumatic for you because clearly, <laughs> but clearly, clearly, but you know, think of it, try to think of your, your, the next stage in your son's growth, you know, and the next stage in your life. Yeah. He, he needs you to take the next stage in yours so he can take the next stage in his. Or he has to take the next stage in his, so you can take the next stage in yours. It doesn't matter. They depend on each other. It's okay. It's okay. It's scary, but we all have to do it. It's okay. All right. I'm 13 years old, and my dad treats me like I'm five. He doesn't let me wear makeup, have a phone, or go, and go out without needing to know exactly who I'm with. What should I do? Well, one, he may be or may not be being a little overprotective, depending upon things. But he's not treating you like he's five. It's all kind of within the normal realms of raising a 13-year-old. You're right at that age where those are the issues start to come up, and those things start to drop one at a time. And when and exactly when and what and is unique depending upon families. But all you can do... the best thing you can do is behave respons responsibly as you can manage because that's how you're going to get more responsibility and things like wearing makeup and having a phone and those kind of things are and being able to go somewhere without having to 
being tracked every five minutes, those come with showing responsibility. That's where these things come from. And, you know, you're talking about your father, so, you know, are you a single father? You know, he's, then he's, you're dealing with trauma issues. He's got, he's, you know, afraid of failing as a father, and so he's going to be overprotective. But, you know, you just have to work through these things. You know, first is show you're responsible first. Make sure you're doing the basics. You don't have to be perfect. No, I don't think parents, most parents don't expect perfect. But, you know, you do the basics. Clean room. Go to school, don't cause trouble, don't break things. You know, it goes a long way to getting those other things you want. Okay. My soon-to-be 12-year-old daughter is dead set on having a tea party for her birthday, but I find it a tad childish. Do I throw her a tea party? For heaven's sakes, yes. They're really in right now. Yeah. There's Pinterest, there's YouTube videos, there's this one guy my daughter follows. He, there's folding napkins and choosing the right tea to go with what scone and uh, sandwich, finger sandwiches and cloth napkins and... They're just having fun. For the love of God, it's her party. Leave her alone. <laughs> just, it's not your party. Just set it up and let her and her friends have her party. You know, your job is to just there to make sure nothing goes horribly wrong. Make sure the cake shows up and nothing goes wrong. That's your job. <laughs> you know, let them have their little tea party and let them have their fun. Let them do it the way they want. Yeah. So what if it's childish? Let them be a child for a day. If it is childish, you know, I and mean, that's debatable, but so what if it is? She's 12. Let her be childish. It, that's going to end soon anyway. Let, why would you hurry it? Let her enjoy these last things of childishness. For the love of God. It's called childhood. Yeah, she's being child, childish. Child is being childish. Imagine that. <laughs> but it's not necessarily even childish. It's just a thing. You know, is it that much different than a roller skating party? It's just friends getting around and laughing and having a good time and chatting. The activity is immaterial. It's just something to give them something to do. Something to focus that around. Leave them alone. Let them do what they want. All right. Last, last one. Last question. This is for you. Is Minecraft satanic? My son was playing and I heard crying and chain clanging noises. <laughs> No. Well, I mean, technically anything can be satanic if you use it the wrong, the, the satanic way. But my guess is there is something, you know, kids play Minecraft and they've got something else playing, music or whatever, playing a YouTube video or something. 
and so you probably, you know, it's probably not necessarily ready, but no, inherently Minecraft is not satanic by itself. Can you theoretically build satanic stuff in Minecraft? You can build all kinds of crap in Minecraft. So yeah, you can make satanic like symbols and all kinds of things. You could do it, but where the heck did no by itself? It's like Minecraft is. Minecraft's like Legos for the computer. If you want to think about what Minecraft is, it's like, you know, Legos on steroids in a computer. That's what Minecraft is. And so can you make satanic type symbols and stuff from Legos? Sure you can. But does that make Lego satan a satanic thing? If you're actually worried about what he was listening to, ask him. Just and remember, how you ask is more important than what you ask. Hey, I was curious. I heard some screaming and chains things a, a few minutes ago. Can you? What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> just curious. It was just it just caught out the blue, and they'll answer. Oh, I was watching this thing. Okay, cool. Don't make a big deal out of it because it's most likely not a big deal. You know, who knows? Maybe he likes listening to chains and crying things. You know, kids go through music. Kids go through kids go through stages. Yeah, you just do. And who knows? Maybe he's the next Stephen King. You, know, you never know. Let him let them be themselves. Yeah. I suppose you ought to watch out for, you know, certain tendencies, but come on. You're not getting that out of Minecraft. So, anyway. That's it for us tonight. We want to thank you for joining us. Please remember you can find us at latenightlove.us. You can send a letter to Lovey over there at love at latenightlove.us. You can find me on Twitter at Jazzrack, you can find us on Facebook, uh, MeWe Minds Locals, and all of your favorite podcast networks. I think. I think that was it. Did we get everything this time? Yeah. Yes. All right. We got everything this time. It's a freaking miracle. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us, and we want to wish you good night. Good night. And please remember, love everybody. See, I did forget something.